right, meet Mr. Tim right back there at the door. As they leave, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 25 with me once again. Psalm 25. And I say once again because this is the last of the series of this sermon out of Psalm 25. And I hope that you have been encouraged and blessed and challenged as we've looked at these messages together. Psalm 25. And let's start reading at verse 1. Here's what is recorded for us. It says, To you... O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. I want to draw your attention this morning to... A couple of passages here. Um, first of all, verse 3, the first part says, Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. And then verse 5 carries on that same thought. At the end of that verse, it says, On you I wait all the day. The theme here, as we continue in this, is this need to do something that we're not very good at doing. And that is waiting. Anybody in here have trouble waiting? Anybody in here impatient in any area of your life? Uh, I think I think I always thought that was one of the fruit of the Spirit until I found out in my life, until I found it really wasn't a fruit of the Spirit at all. It was there, but it really wasn't a fruit of the Spirit. But to be able to wait... To genuinely wait upon the Lord. Now, let me, let me talk to you about this waiting just for a moment. Keeping this in context with everything else we've learned here. What's he say? He begins in verse 1 by saying, Oh, Lord, I pour out my heart to you. I cry out to you. I, I, I desire you, Lord. And then, as we've learned together, he, he begins by saying there in verse 4, he says, He said, Lord... In the desire I have from you is that you would show me your way. And we talked about the way of God. That which is important to God ought to be important to us. He goes on to say, after saying, show me your way, he says, teach me your path. And the path we talked about is the, is the, the direction God gives us as he calls us to fulfill his way in our life. That's God's path for life. And then we talked about how we need to pray that he would guide us or lead us into all truth. And how the Holy Spirit has been given to we who are the children of God, to show us that which is true and to guide us in the, in the way we should go. That, that, that God doesn't abandon us. He doesn't just teach us His way. He doesn't just put us on His path. But the Holy Spirit is there every step of the way to guide us. He doesn't just send us off on our own, which we ought all be grateful for, because on our own, we will have a tendency to get lost. We'll get off the path. We'll go down our own path rather than follow His guidance. And then last week we talked about how wonderful it is that we can come to God to ask all of these things from God and sincerely request these things from God because He is the God of our salvation. He is the one who has done everything that is needed to be done for you and I in order that we might be right, in order that we might have our sins forgiven. Because there's a malady that is true concerning all people who have ever lived upon this earth save one. And that malady is this. 
we are guilty of sin. Every one of us have done that which is contrary to God. Every one of us. And left to our own devices, we would always do that which is contrary to God. Now, humans have learned to justify and rationalize that which we consider to be good enough that ought to be acceptable to God. But the truth is, apart from Jesus Christ, nothing that we can offer to God is good enough for God. The Bible says that our righteousness in the sight of God is as filthy rags. In other words, our righteousness, the best that we could conjure up in ourselves, is unacceptable to God. So it's not our righteousness that God is seeking. Listen. It's not our goodness that God is seeking. God's not saying, be good enough and I'll accept you. God's not even saying, do enough right things and I'll accept you. What God has done, because He is a God of our salvation, because we could not do it ourselves, I could not come up with righteousness in myself, He has provided righteousness for us. The Bible says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God sent His Son to die for our sins, to face the punishment for the fact that you and I are guilty of sin, but also that as we respond to Him, that you and I might be clothed in His righteousness. Because it is only His righteousness that God accepts. Anything outside of that is unacceptable to God. But isn't it wonderful to consider that we have a God that loves us so much that He would be willing to send His Son to die for our sins, sins, of course, but also that you and I could be clothed in His righteousness so that we can know that we're acceptable unto Him. In the understanding of this relationship, the psalmist makes these prayers. And now we come to this part where he says, Upon you, Lord, I wait all the day. Upon you, Lord, I wait all the day. Now, notice what he's doing here. This waiting is not a passive waiting. This is, waiting is a waiting filled with expectation. When you pray, do you pray with expectation? When you call out to God, do you expect God to respond? Not because He has to. Listen, not because, he, not because He's required to, but because He said He would. God has given us this wonderful blessing this tool we call prayer. And we have we have put it, you know, sometimes at the bottom of our toolkit. When it ought to be the one tool that we pull out all the time. And it ought to be the tool that we pull out ready for it to be used and expecting God to, to answer our prayers, expecting God to move in our life. When you and I pray, we pray believing we pray in faith, according to the Scripture, but we ought to also be praying expecting something to happen. Because God has called us to a place of prayer. So, though our eyes may not initially see what is going to happen, though, our, though, though we may not experience immediately what's going to happen, God always responds to the prayers of His people. That's the kind of God that He is. In the book of Daniel... This is occurrence that takes place. Daniel begins to seek the Lord. And Daniel is the prophet of God. He begins to seek the Lord. And he prays to God. And seemingly nothing happens. 
And Daniel keeps on praying. And he prays for 21 days. And finally, God responds to Daniel the prophet. And the messenger of God says this, Oh, Daniel, beloved of God. I love that. Beloved of God. You know, your name could be there where Daniel's name is. Because you are beloved of God. And the messenger said, Daniel, the moment you began to pray, God answered. And God sent me. But Daniel, on my way here, what a picture he draws here, I got into a big conflict. With who? Well, you have God who loves you. God who answers your prayer. God who wants what's best for your life, who, who has provided eternally what you and I need. But on the other side, you have an enemy of your soul. Who wants to discourage you. Who wants to put you in despair. Who wants you to walk in unbelief. Who wants you not to experience faith in God. And who will stand in the way if he can stand in the way. And this messenger from God said to Daniel, the enemy sent a his own messenger to stand in the way. And I've been in conflict with him for these 21 days. I have overcome him and I'm here to give you the answer for which you seek from God. We don't know what's going on in the heavenlies. Although we do know this, the Bible teaches us that, that that's where the warfare takes place. That there are spiritual battles that are going on all around us. Ultimately, we know this, that God will win every one of those battles. Amen? God will win every one of them. And ultimately, God will win the war. I can't tell you why God allows, because He's all-powerful, these battles to go on. Yeah, that's something I think. God, why? If you could just say it and it'd be gone, why does this happen? And I can't give you the... Church, I can't give you the answer for that. I've never heard anybody give an answer, complete, a complete answer for that. But God has a big plan for us. God has a big plan for His own creation. And in His sovereignty, He has decided to allow Satan to exist, demons to exist, evil to exist. He's decided to allow you and I to make decisions sometimes that are not in line with His will. He's also allowed us to make those decisions that are in line with His will. Daniel was a man of prayer. He began praying and he did not... He continued praying expecting God to answer his prayer. I think the psalmist is doing that right here. When he says, Lord, I wait on you all day. He's saying to God, God, I expect you to answer. That's the kind of God that you are. And God, I'm seeking you. Verse 1, wholeheartedly, I'm pouring out my heart to you. And God, more than anything else, I desire your way in my life and I desire to know the path you have for me to walk. And God, I need your guidance, the guidance of your sweet Holy Spirit every day. For you are the God of my salvation and because you are, I wait upon you all day. And I wait upon you expecting you to act in my life. Prayer is a curious thing. Sometimes it's a very hard thing to understand. But on the other side, sometimes it seems so simple. How does prayer work? How does God work in prayer? Does it make any difference that you and I pray? If, God's, if God has everything already lined out in the world, does it make any difference that I pray? Does it, does it, does it have any impact that, that you and I pray? If we know what the Bible says, we see that over and over and over again, 
prayer makes a difference. It allows us, and we're going to come in just a few minutes to this table, we're going to enter into what we call communion, but what prayer actually allows us to do every day, everywhere, is to enter in, to live in that place of communion with God, communing with our Father. So he waits expecting God to answer. But when he, also when he says, I wait upon you all day, he also has, shows his willingness to do something. And here, this is important. He shows a willingness to listen to the answer of God. To listen to the answer of God. I think sometimes we fear prayer because we may fear the answer that comes in prayer. Our life may not be exactly what it needs to be, so when we seek the Lord, He may speak into our life about things that we're doing, things that we're involved in, things that we believe, things that that are not according to His will. And as we seek Him, He may speak into our life those things that we don't want to hear. So we fear prayer. We fear prayer that we may be seeking His will, and His will may take us in a, in a direction we don't really want to go. He may lead us to give up something that we're not willing to give up, to go someplace that we're not willing to go, to say some things that we're not willing to say, to stand in some places that we're not really willing to stand in. And so, so we've learned to do prayer in the sense of the mechanics. We've learned to say, Lord, I'm praying to you. Lord, I, I seek you. Lord, I... I and, and then we quickly if not physically, at least spiritually, we quickly get up before He can answer. Because too often, church, when we pray, we already have our answer. Or, we already have the answer we want. And the psalmist says, Lord, these are the things that I desire, but I expectantly wait upon you all day. There needs to be desire in the hearts of those who are are believers who are followers of God, that we want to hear from God. And that we're willing to wait upon God. Would you concede this morning that your time may not always be God's time, and God's time may not always be your time? Have you ever prayed about something in your life, and God said no at a certain point? And later on, circumstances brought you to a place where you prayed almost about the same thing. And at that different time, God said, yes. I want you to understand something, how important this is to understand. When we talk about our faith, we talk over and over and over again about a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's not, it's just, our faith is not a faith of rituals. Our faith is not a faith of, of, of praying so many times a day or praying a certain way. It really is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a relationship where we can, we can talk to Him about anything. It is a, we say living, it is a, can I put it this way? It is a flowing relationship. It's, it's one where the Spirit of God, we talked about Him being our guide, it's one where the Spirit of God lives in you and, and God directs you about certain things in your life today that maybe last week wasn't even an issue in your life. And maybe next week He takes you in another way. And so many things in our life we cannot find, particularly in the Bible that says, with your name on it, I want you to do this today. 
Thus the necessity of what Paul says, praying without, pray without ceasing. That is, pray in a continual relationship with God. Live in a continual relationship with God so that when God wants to lead you or guide you down the path that fulfills His way, see, it all ties together. When He wants to lead you down that path that, that is His way, you are open to that because you are listening. I wait upon you, Lord. I don't go out in front of you. I don't assume that my will is your will. I don't assume that my desires are your desires. God, I genuinely want you to place today your desires in my heart. So I wait upon you. And I wait upon you expecting to hear from you because you said you would answer. And I wait upon you ready to hear how you're leading me and guiding me in this. And how does he answer? How does he answer? You ever ask that question? You ever wonder about that question? How does God answer? Wouldn't it be nice if your pastor could tell you this? You can always know it's God's answer in your life because God will always answer like this. Wouldn't that be nice? Sorry, I can't tell you that. I cannot tell you that God will always answer a certain way. I can't tell you that God will always speak to your life in a certain way. So listen to me. I'm asking you, as you wait upon the Lord, don't look for a certain thing to happen to say, oh, must be from God because God always acts that way. Secondly, don't look for a certain answer that you've already decided you want and say, oh, it must be God answering because He's answered the way I want. We too often look to a methodology that proves it's from God or we too often look to an answer that we assume is from God. But what God is calling us to do is to wait upon Him. And in order to wait upon Him, we've got to know Him. And in order to know Him, we've got to be introduced to Him, and that introduction comes by the Holy Spirit through His Son, Jesus Christ. But also, it's not, that's not the end of it. We need to know Him by walking with Him and experiencing Him every day. So that, listen, we don't recognize the method, nor do we recognize the answer, but we recognize the voice. We recognize the voice. How many of you are parents in here? Okay. How many of your kids are parents in here? Oh, come on. Everybody has to raise their hand there. All right. I have two kids, and I wouldn't embarrass my kids for the world. Well, maybe. Okay. While they were growing up, Drew and Shiloh would come to Dad. Well, actually, here's how it worked, really. Drew would say to Shiloh, go ask Dad this. Because Drew knew something. But here's the point. So Shiloh would come and bring Drew's request to Dad. She could do that, first of all, because I'm her dad. I guarantee you, one of the reasons that Drew would send Shiloh is because Drew already had his mind made up what he wanted Dad to answer. Okay? And thought that Shiloh could get Dad to say what Drew wanted Dad to say. 
Okay? So, Charlotte would come. She would ask the question. She could do that because I was her dad. And I would give the response. Sometimes the response was yes. Sometimes the response was no. Okay? Sometimes the response was wait. They did not always get what they wanted. But they knew the answer because they knew where the answer was coming from. So whether the answer was yes, it was from dad, or the answer was no, it was from dad, or if the answer was wait, the answer was from dad. And they knew that because why? Because they knew dad. Why do we treat God any different? We assume that it's from God if it agrees with us. We assume it's from God if He, if he does it a certain way. God has called us not into seeking His methodology, nor seeking uh, our desires from Him, what He gives us. God has called us to seek Him. The psalmist said, Lord, unto You I pour out my soul. Unto You I offer my prayers. Unto You. And his desire, as is seen as we close out this, this verse, this section of verse, he says, and on you I wait all the day. What's he saying at the end of that? He's saying, Lord, I am waiting to hear from you. Here is my request, and I make these requests as your child. But God, I need to hear from you. And it's time for the church of the living God today to move back to that place where our desire is to hear from our Father. Whether our father says yes, or our father says no, or our father says no, that, you know, that's not good, enough, that's not good for you, so, so I have a better plan for you. Or our father says, wait on me a little bit longer. How we need to move back to the place where we trust the father. Because he is the father. And folks, that's a principle that's found throughout the scripture. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 64. And Isaiah prophesied in a, in, a, in a very hard time for Judah. He was called to God to prophesy to this people concerning the fact that he was going to discipline them and harshly discipline them in such a way that they would be taken into captivity. Not a great message that anybody would want to share. But in the midst of all the prophesying about the judgment of God that was going to come, Time and time again, God inspired His prophet to share messages of hope. Messages of restoration. Messages of God's grace, God's mercy that He had for His people. And then once again, He talks about that those who wait upon Him, He will answer. And He will bless them beyond measure. And look, at, look with me at, at, at Isaiah 64, verse 4, and look at what's recorded for us. Here's what He says. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the, the eye seen any God besides you. Do you understand what he's saying there? Listen, this was a nation that had rejected the one true God and gone after false gods, gone after idols, set up high places to worship these idols, went after into, uh, pagan practices. And Isaiah wants to remind them 
Though there are idols, they are not God. You realize that's what Paul's message was also? Though there are idols, they're not gods. And though men call them gods, listen, that doesn't make them gods. What Isaiah wanted them to understand is there's only one God. That's the testimony of our faith. There's only one God. Only one God. And he goes on to say here in verse 4, and it says this about this one God. Look at the end of verse 4. Who acts for the one who waits for him. Not just waits for him to give them what they want. Not just waits for him to do it in the way that they want him to do it. But notice what he says. Who acts for those who wait for him. I really believe this is a hard concept for Christians to get. Because we have turned God into this utilitarian being who gives us what we want. And we'll be happy little campers when he gives us what he, what he wants. We'll even say to God, you know, God, if you'll give me this, then I'll do this for you. We'll, we'll barter with God. We'll bargain with God. By the way, if you think about it, that's what little kids do. And too many Christians are stuck in that little kids mode where they don't know their father, but they, but they, you know, I'll be good if you'll give me this. I'll do this if you give me this. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people think that's the way to raise kids, too. Let's give them, uh, for being good, let's give them this. For, giving, for doing right, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. And what we, you say, well, that's, that's, a good, that's a good incentive. The only problem with that incentive, if you carry it too far, then what you do is you raise kids who think that doing good, you do good just to be rewarded, rather than doing good and doing right because it's right and good. Listen, church, I think God is calling us to a place where He's called us to seek Him because He is God. He's calling us to a place where we would grow up a little bit and walk in that relationship with Him and stop bartering with Him and stop saying, God, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. If, if you'll do this in my life, then I'll be good in this, in this area of my life. And start saying, God, you are the God of my salvation. And I desire you. There's none that I desire other than you. And whatever it means in my life to have you and to wait upon you and to hear the answer you have for me, that's all I want. That's all I want. I wonder, are you getting the concepts I'm trying to get across or am I being too confusing this morning? This is really important. Because again, we have turned God into, and I've used the term before and some like it, some don't, but I'll use it again. But we turn God into a spiritual sugar daddy in the sky. We think He exists for us. We think He exists to provide us what, he, what, what we want. And we're having preachers and teachers uh, on TV and stuff today that, that talk about you writing your own ticket with God and doing this and God will give you this and you give God a hundred and He'll give you a hundredfold. And, and we turn this into some sort of all-about-me type thing. God does not exist for us that would make us preeminent. We exist for Him. But can't we understand that if we live in that existence for Him, there's no better thing for us. To know God is the ultimate in the human experience. To have a relationship with the Creator of this universe, there's nothing greater. Every rich, all the riches in the world are not worth Knowing that, you're, that you belong to God. 
Now, that's a concept, again, we, we sing about, we talk about, but it's hard for us to grasp. And what we've done with this matter of prayer is we've told God to wait upon us rather than you and I being willing to wait upon the Lord. Yet the principle throughout the, the Scripture tells us from the very beginning, God answers the prayer. God works in the life. God speaks into the life. God blesses the person that waits upon Him. We sing this little chorus in this church, God is good all the time, right? Right? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that God is good all the time? Do you believe that God is a God of blessing? Do you believe that God is your Heavenly Father who wants the very best for you, His child? Do you believe that? Then why would we ever get to the place where we assume that we need to tell God what is and what should be? Instead of doing what the psalmist does here. He pours out his heart to God. But look at the essence of, of him pouring out his God. He pours out his God by first saying, his heart to God by first saying, God, I want your way. Not my way, but your way. He pours out his heart to God by saying, God, I want to walk on your path. Not the path that I just decided to walk on, but your path. And God, I want your, your Holy Spirit to guide me every step of the way. For you are the God of my salvation. And God, because I want your way, your path, your spirit, because I am surrendered to the fact that you are the, the God of my salvation, Lord, I wait upon you. I wait upon you. Because God, I don't want anything that's not of you. Scripture teaches us over and over again. Those who wait upon the Lord, He's going to answer. Why? Because He's your Father in heaven and He loves you. I love how Jesus gives us a little example. He says, you know, you being human, you know how to give good to your children. And if your children ask for a piece of bread, how many of you would give them a stone? Well, nobody would. He said... The point is that if you know how to give that which is good to your own children, how much more does your Heavenly Father know to give good to you? It's time to stop trusting in what we want from God and start trusting God. And be willing to wait upon the Lord. Waiting with expectation. And waiting with a willingness that when He speaks, that we're going to follow, we're going to receive it, we're going to trust Him, even if we don't understand why He's spoken in a certain way in our life. God has called us to wait upon Him. That wait demonstrates our faith. Now we come to the end of this series, and I want you to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it ties in with sharing the Lord's Supper this morning. And isn't it interesting that the instructions that were given to the church also have to do with waiting upon the Lord? You look at verse 26, chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, and here's what Paul records for us. He says, he says For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till what? Till He comes. Waiting with expectation upon the Lord. Waiting for what? Ultimately, 
for His return. We have the promise of the presence of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is going to return. And we demonstrate that our hearts are right with God in a willingness to trust Him in this. And to do again what the psalmist says, Upon you I wait all the day. Upon you I wait all the day. God, I want you to be the first mover in my life. I want you to speak and I want you to give me the the, the ears to hear you and the faith to trust you. And we live in a, in a hard time, I would say, spiritually, where people, even, are, even people in the church are beginning to say, well, you know, preachers and teachers have been talking about the fact that Jesus is coming back again for 2,000 years, and yet he's not back yet. When is he going to come back? And some people have lost heart. Some people have gone the, another way because it, they don't believe it anymore. Part of our faith walk is this willingness And this understanding that God's timing is the best time. And when God acts, He will always act at the exact right time. And should God choose to act in my life specifically in an area, or choose to act generally in the world, i.e. the second coming of Jesus Christ, I need to have the faith to believe that he will do exactly what he says he would do. I need to have the faith like the psalmist says, Upon you, Lord, I wait. Why? Because you're God. And everything that we know about who you are, as you've revealed it through your word and, and, and by your Holy Spirit, lets me know that I can wait upon you. And lets me know that waiting upon you is really my only option, unless... Unless I want to mess up my whole life. And that happens a lot. Individual lives, churches, denominations, who decide that they can no longer wait upon God. He's taken too long. So we need to come up with our own ways and our own ideas, and we need to step out. God never, ever tells us to step out apart from Him. I would ask you this question. Why bother praying if we have no intention of waiting upon the Lord? Why bother? Because it looks right? Because it's what Christian people do? Think about what I just said. That's hypocrisy. In its purest form, that's hypocrisy. I'm going to pray because Christians pray. I have no intention of listening to God or waiting upon God, but I've got to do what a good Christian does, so I'm going to pray. Why would we pray if we have no intention of waiting upon the Lord? He's called us to that church. And if you think about it, everything we studied for the last month here in Psalm 25 comes down to what I'm saying to you today. It makes no difference that makes no sense to pour out our heart to God if we don't intend to wait upon Him. It makes no sense to, to ask God to show us His ways if we have no intent of waiting for Him to show us that or trusting Him to show us that. To, guide, to, to, to show us the path makes no sense. To, to ask for His guidance and then get out of Him. He doesn't guide from behind. 
And it makes no sense to ask for His guidance on the path toward His way if we have no intention of submitting, surrendering to His guidance. And ultimately, if you think about it, you get right down to the bottom line is when we declare, for you are the God of my salvation, that could never happen unless we were willing to wait upon Him. See, because nobody in this building here got saved because they're super smart. Nobody in this building got saved because they're super spiritual. God in His mercy and His grace, in His time, His Holy Spirit touched your heart. And when He touched your heart, He convicted you of the fact that you're a sinner and you couldn't do anything about that. Same thing with me. And He also convinced you of something. He convinced you that Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, died for your sins. He paid the penalty for your sins. He convinced you that not only did He die for your sins, but that on that third day He rose from the grave and He overcame sin and death and hell for you. And He brought you to the place of faith where you believe if you simply put your faith and trust in Jesus, not did the right thing, not went to church, not become religious, but you simply put your faith and trust in Jesus and said, Jesus, I trust you completely and totally that your sins would be forgiven, that you would have eternal life. Nobody in, in here is saved except that they had to wait upon the Lord for that to happen. And none of us will none of us will hear from God. None of us will be able to walk with God as His children. None of us will be able to experience the fullness of what God has for us unless also we have the intention to wait upon Him. O oh Lord, I wait upon You all the day. I wait upon You all the day. Because You are my God. And I trust You. I'm going to ask You this morning to bow Your heads with me. To close Your eyes. And for a few moments just to shut out everything around You. Because it's good for us at the end of this time to respond to what God has to say to us. You see, that's the point of this time right now. Not to respond to the preacher, not to respond to the church, but to respond to what God is saying to your heart and to your life. I began this service, I don't know if you remember, way back, just prior to the announcements, by making this statement. God loves you. That is true. God loves you. And because He loves you, He wants the very best for you. And he, he knows what the best is for you. And listen, He has provided the best for you. And many of you, if not most of you, have already received His Son, Jesus Christ, as your Savior. You've put your faith and your trust in Him. You have received the best that God has for you. And in receiving His Son you have received the results of that relationship, which is forgiveness of sin and eternal life. But even if you're here today and you have not done that yet, you need to know that God loves you. He doesn't love anybody in this room more than He loves you. For what He did for everybody in this room, He did for you. 
And what he requires of any of us is the same thing he requires of all of us. Simple faith. Simple trust. In who he is. And knowing because of who he is, only he can meet the deepest needs of any of our lives. He is calling us to himself. Some this morning for the first time to come and to, to, to trust him and to acknowledge Jesus Christ as his Lord, their Lord and Savior. But don't miss this church, those who are believers. He's calling us to himself again. He's calling us to a place of stop, to stop seeing Him as just the provider of what we want or what we desire. Not just the fixer of all of our faults. He's calling us to Himself. He's our Father. And He loves us. From a human standpoint, if the only time our kids or our friends came to us, our so-called friends came to us, was when they wanted something from us. Before long, that gets old. Before long, we build resentment. We say, there's no real love there. There's no real relationship there. They're just using me for what they want. Why would we dare do that with our Heavenly Father? When all He wants from you, Christian, is for you to experience the fullness of who He is. He wants you to know who He is in, in your everyday life. And God is calling us, the church, back to Himself. So I'm asking you as my church family to respond to that call today. And for the next few moments, to let God's Spirit speak to you. That you might hear His voice and that you might return to Him. I'm going to be here at the front. There'll be a couple of others here at the front. If you would like someone to pray with you, we'd be glad to pray with you. Maybe you're here and you need Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're ready to receive Him. You want someone to pray with you about that? It's a, it's a very simple thing. It's a, it's a wonderfully simple thing that God has offered us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we'd be glad to pray with you about that. Maybe there's some other issue in your life that you just need to pray about. And you can do that right where you're at or the steps are open here at the front of the church. Or someone will be glad to pray with you. I'm asking you this morning, would you respond to how God's Spirit is leading you as He speaks to your heart right now? Father, I thank You for this day, and I pray that You give us hearts that are open to You as we hear Your voice. And I pray this in Jesus' name.